I love that image. You know, coat hanger is really a, a, a fascinating piece of engineering. Did you ever think about that? There, there is a classic elegance to a coat hanger. I never thought about a coat hanger as fragile, but they are. You give, even this one is, is, is no longer perfect. You know, what I especially like is the, is the gold ones. Do you all have some of the gold ones? I'm not talking about those little plastic things, you know. Your, those aren't real coat hangers. I mean, you cannot open a locked car door with a plastic coat hanger. Try it. <laughs> They're useless, really. But, 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 but these, you know, and, and, and the, the nice gold ones, or even this, this classic white, uh, you know, you untwist it. You, you reshape it to, to do that other chore. And then you try to go back. And you can't seem to get back what was lost, can you? Can never get it back. How many of you have, a, have a, a garage full of twisted coat hangers? You know, I keep one just because I know I can't keep going through my coat hangers. So when I, when, when I bend one up for a good purpose, I save it. And next time, I'm ready. I've already got my coat hanger. Okay, I'm a little quirky. Uh, we're going to do something today, starting something today, that... that um, Maybe a little bold in the sense that it's simply preaching a series from the book of Ecclesiastes. I haven't heard it done before. I, th- I know it's been done. I'm not saying this is a great and, and uh, 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 unheard of task, but, but uh, it's not a common book, is it? It's not a common book that you turn to when you say, you know, I really need to meet the Lord in His Word today. I need some encouragement from God's Word to feed my soul. I know. I'll read Ecclesiastes. Not so much. Well, maybe some of you. Ecclesiastes has been called by a recent author the the postmodern gospel. It actually speaks to and acknowledges some things that we have pretended are not as they are. That things are really bent up. Things are twisted. We might not want to talk about it. We might want to pretend it's not so. And yet it is. And there's a great credibility to be gained when we will acknowledge things as they are, even in the midst of being bent or twisted, which raises the question, can what's twisted be straightened? Can what's bent be straightened? Is there any hope for my coat hanger, your life? Ecclesiastes addresses that. Ecclesiastes is making sense of what's bent. That's what I've, I've titled chapter 1. Now, the bigger picture, the bigger book as a whole, I, I, I've called Ecclesiastes intersection. Intersection between this present futility of life and eternity that's ahead of us. What we hope for in contrast to and bumping up against life as we really know it in ways that don't seem to make sense. And we wonder if life is really like this, will eternity really be like that? There's this intersection in real life between futility and eternity, both of which the writer of Ecclesiastes would say are very real. We want to say that eternity is real, and since eternity is real, then futility is not. Life isn't as bad as it seems. But sometimes it is. And we try to pretend that it's not, and we lose credibility. Not only to others, we lose credibility concerning our faith even in our own hearts. The writer of the Proverbs says that hope deferred makes the heart grow weak. 
even our own hearts, if we pretend concerning what's true. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 I've entitled, Making Sense of What's Bent. Ecclesiastes does that. Ecclesiastes confronts the bent. Uh, let me back up a little bit and just, just start with an over... Where does Ecclesiastes fit in? You say you don't read it, and yet you come real close. You have the Old Testament history books, starting from Genesis, running all the way through Second Chronicles. And, and Old Testament history starts... Old Testament history starts with Genesis, and there we are, humanity created with God in fellowship, in relationship with God in a garden. Everything is wonderful. Well, it goes downhill fast. And the Old Testament history of God's working with people and his own people ends with God's own people carried away captive in Babylon. It didn't seem to turn out so well. That's the reality of real life. Old Testament history. And then after Old Testament history, you have this Old Testament hope. You have the prophet speaking God's mind into the people's situations, but also reminding them of the hope that is before them, that it will not always be like this. You were not made for this. It is supposed to be different from this. And because God will intervene, he will send his son. He will send a savior. It will be different. That's the Old Testament prophetic hope. So imagine Old Testament history is like this, and Old Testament hope is like that. And these poetic books are right in the middle, because that's where our life is. Our life is right in the middle between the sometimes dismal picture of Old Testament history, and sometimes our life tracks too close to that, and the hope that we long for. And so it's in those Old Testament history books. You have the book of Job, suffering in this present life that in itself doesn't make sense. The book of Job would not make sense to us if it were not for the opening chapters and the closing chapters. Ecclesiastes is a lot like Job. It's also an Old Testament poetic book. And it, like the book of Job, doesn't make sense if you don't catch the opening and the closing. So just stick that away. The opening and the closing of Ecclesiastes is like Job. Ecclesiastes is a fun book to preach because it's a lot like preachers, actually. It rambles. It, um, it, it, it seems to wander here and there. It, um, it repeats itself and uh, sometimes seems to contradict itself. I mean, you said that, but then you said this, and Ecclesiastes does that. So it's a fun, it's a fun book, and life's like that. Now, okay, I mentioned Job, and then Psalms. Psalms is worship, our hearts longing for God. When you're down, when you want to be encouraged, where do you go? Do you go to the Psalms, right? And Psalms has this expression with all the different aspects of life. Sometimes it's heaviness. Sometimes it's despair. Sometimes it's loneliness. Sometimes it's praise and rejoicing and excitement and anticipation. All of that range of emotions are captured in those Psalms of worship. And then Proverbs speaks to worship in real life. How do we make life then in a broken world work? Well, if we walk this way, if we do these things, if we set our path according to God's word, if we train up a child in the way he should go... Well, wait a minute. Some of you have childs that didn't work that way. And you find yourself moving from Proverbs into Ecclesiastes, right? And, and uh, in tradition, the same writer of most of the Proverbs, Solomon, is the, is, is the author of Ecclesiastes. And if he's not the author of Ecclesiastes, certainly we are supposed to be looking at life through Solomon's lens in the book of Ecclesiastes. And yet, those Proverbs, 
that seem so neat little packages that life is going to be just so and so. In Proverbs, the writer to Ecclesiastes says, folks, I got some bad news for you. It isn't going to work. It isn't going to work out like that. Many times it won't be like that. Many times life will seem empty and futile in comparison. And yet, Ecclesiastes will tell us that even though life seems futile and and empty and nothing and out of control, yet, yet there is still God's good in the midst of life. There is still God's goodness to taste in anticipation of redemption when that which is bent will be straightened. That brings us to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is enjoying God's goodness in the midst of real life. And in the relationship that is intended between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, and in that relationship, there, are, there is a, a foretasting. There is a foreshadowing of the sweetness of fellowship and relationship that we are supposed to have as humanity with God. You see, Song of Solomon gives us an example of that that Ecclesiastes hints at. That even though life is broken, even though life is messed up, yet there is goodness in it that we could enjoy. It's not just a a either or. Either I will live in this world and I'll forget about God, or I will live only with my eyes on eternity and forget about all the things of life. No, Ecclesiastes tells us how to live now in view of eternity, to set our sights higher, to, to, to find meaning in life as we fear God and follow him and walk with him. A lot of times we look at light from that bright and cheery perspective. How many of you remember the painter of light, Thomas Kincaid? Thomas Kincaid, beautiful paintings, really popular in the 90s. A very prosperous time in our country. And Thomas Kincaid was this painter of light, and light was all over in his painting. And, and this is kind of just a classic example of it, that everywhere is light. Everywhere is bright and cheery. And the shades of the lighting that he used were used to make everything brighter and happier. Don't you just get happy looking at it? Yeah, it's just, oh, that's just wonderful. But you know... Thomas Kincaid, as popular as his paintings were, they were never considered classic. Thomas Kincaid was not the painter of light in the way that Rembrandt was. Rembrandt's paintings look kind of dark, don't they? Rembrandt used light only in the emphasis Rembrandt used the darkness in the picture to bring out the light. It might not show up so well on the screen, but the one down the bottom left, that's the prodigal son. And the light is on the son and on his father. The other figures are more background. They don't matter as much, except you see the light on the face, just on the face of the older brother, because his countenance is going to be important in the story as well, isn't it? You come over to this side, and that's Rembrandt's mother. But there's really not much light on Rembrandt's mother. In fact, on the projection screen, you can hardly see her. But there's obvious light coming over her, and it's doing what? It's illuminating the page. The book in front of her, her faith in God's Word was everything. That was the point. That's what made his mother who she was. Perhaps he's, 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 he's evoking Timothy's grandmother and mother, Eunice and Lois. Then you come up top. You may wonder, what is that scene? 
That's Potiphar's wife. That's where Joseph was falsely accused of making a move on the wife of the man whose servant he was, this powerful general in Egypt. Where's the, where's the, where's the image? Where's the emphasis? Where's the light? The light is on the bed behind her and right upon her, right upon her breast. That's where the light is. That's where the focus is drawn because that's the emphasis in the story. Remember what she's saying? It didn't happen. And yet that's, that's the story she's telling, and that's what the painting depicts. One that I didn't put on the screen because I, I thought better of it uh, was um, Rembrandt's depiction of, of, um, of Bathsheba, the woman that King David had an affair with. It's again, there's this dark background. There's these other people around her, like she's just had her bath and she has her attendants around her. And... Uh, Bathsheba herself, well, it's, it's a nude scene. That's why I didn't include the photo up front. I would hear about it. I shouldn't have even told you that I saw the painting. Mm. <laughs> but the remarkable thing about that painting is it's like she is just glowing white. She, the light is on her in such a way that she just ju- almost jumps out of the painting and into David's arms. And, and what's being suggested by that painting is how could David resist as a fallen man with that temptation? Rembrandt is using the darkness and the light together. And that, folks, is what makes Ecclesiastes a masterpiece. It confronts us about the reality of the darkness in the midst of life and the light that's to be found in it. But easily we can miss it. You know, Ecclesiastes starts out, verse 2. And go ahead and open your Bible. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, there's some interesting words here you'll want to see. If you're using a pew Bible, turn to page 472. In in, in your own Bible, I don't know what the page number is, but Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'll begin reading from verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And these are his words. Listen to what he says about life. Here's the summary statement, the overarching statement. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Nothing. Nothing. Everything is nothing. That's life. Aren't you encouraged? Aren't you glad you came this morning? Oh, good. Now I've got something I can take with me. Life is meaningless. Life is nothing. Life is futile. Life is fleeting. Life is like soap bubbles. Soap bubbles. Try to catch a soap bubble. They're beautiful. It's gone. They're fleeting. That's the word. Not just empty, but, but fleeting. There's no, and, and, and the fleeting, they go so quickly, and, and yet you can't grasp them. When you try to grasp them, there's nothing of real substance and weight there. Soap bubbles. Life is like soap bubbles. He says, everything is nothing. And there's a neat thing in the Hebrew. It was so neat to me, I, I, I gave you a picture of it. It's, it's in your notes in front of you. We'll put it on the screen. In, in Hebrew, oh, shucks. That just didn't work. There's supposed to be Hebrew letters there. Well, go ahead, look in your notes. You have sermon notes. And you see the, there's, there's a... Two Hebrew words there, and you read Hebrew backwards, so it's, it's uh, the two words are hekel, hebal. 
And there's only one letter difference in the, in the, in the and you, 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 you just read Hebrew with the consonants. There's one letter difference, but the subtle difference between that letter is just one little stroke. Do you see the difference? It's the middle level. It's the middle letter in each word. Do you see that on your notes? On the bottom right-hand corner of that middle letter. Just one little stroke of the pen changes the word from everything to nothing. Isn't that the case? Isn't that true in life? So quickly, so quickly, everything is going well. Everything is going good. And then a phone call from the doctor, that routine test, I'm sorry, we've found something. And everything changes. A man in the prime of his life realizes he has an obscure and... and, um, not common form of a cancer, that in the prime of his life, within six months, he's departed. He's gone and left his family behind. You can be doing well at work, career's going good, just bought a house, family's just getting off the ground, but then the company is sold, and it turns out mainly for the patents that they hold, they're not going to keep this office and this plant open. It's all going to close. Job is gone. Don't know how we're going to make the house payment. Everything is nothing. Just that quick, just like that. So quickly, it changes. Bob is driving his car up the freeway, headed off to a couple of days at the CB Northwest Annual Conference. Oh, this is going to be fun. Going to visit with people I haven't seen in a while. We're going to be encouraged together what God is doing in in our broader CB churches here in the region and get about Kalama. And all of a sudden, there's a strange noise. It's not a good noise. It's coming from a sort of place up front that just isn't where good noises come from. It's, it's a transmission sort of noise. And a car that was worth over $3,000 is suddenly worth about 250 at uh, Foster's for scrap. That's what they offered me for it. Well, it's still up on Jackson, the garage. We just got a new used transmission lifted up into it. We're slowly putting it back together. But so quickly, a good car down the road, suddenly going nowhere. Life is like that. Our experience is like that. And Ecclesiastes says, yes, that's right. Let me point a picture of what life is like. Look at verse 3. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? What does man gain? And if I can cut to the chase, he says nothing. Oh, you work hard. You intend to gain. You work because you want to build something that'll last. And and Ecclesiastes says it ain't going to last. It's going to fall down. It will collapse. Stan Campbell, I don't care what kind of concrete reinforcement you put in that thing, it will fall down. And if we, are, if we linger long enough, another city will be built on top of it. That's the course of the ages, isn't it? We will live, we will die, we will not be remembered. A generation goes, another generation comes. He, he says, look around you at nature, even at nature. The streams flow down into the, into the ocean. But the ocean never fills up. There's no change there. In fact, the, the water that ran all the way downhill, all the way out to the ocean, it just comes back up and goes back over here and just all flows down again. What difference does it make? 
And he uses that as a metaphor of life, as an image of life. That's what life is like. Really, when it gets right down to it, what difference do you really make? And you want to make a difference. You want there to be more. And he says, but in our experience, when we push into it, what does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? Under the sun. There's the key. There's the perspective. When we look at life under the sun, when we look at life on a horizontal level, on a horizontal plane, life as we know it from what we can see with our eyes, it doesn't make sense. It is empty. It will be unfulfilling. Try as you will. Life will be futile under the sun. Some of the words that he mentions, I'll just read through here. Generations come, verse 4, and generations go. The earth remains forever. It remains as it was. The sun rises, the sun sets. It hurries back to where it rises, it goes again. The wind blows to the south, returns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. The place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never enough of seeing, nor the ear has its fill of hearing. You want to hear more, you want to see more, you want to do more, you want to go more. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything which one can say, look, this is something new, and one of you is just dying to pull out your iPhone right now. Say, well, look, this, this is new. Really? Well, Samsung would have something to say about that. Samsung sells more cell phones now than Apple. You wouldn't realize that, but they do. And it really doesn't matter. Who cares? Some of you are saying, so? And that's exactly the point. A hundred years from now, nobody will care about either. And if, if the Lord lingers a thousand years from now, they will say, sell what? It won't matter. And yet, people have always communicated, and people will communicate. There's nothing new under the sun. It was already here long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. We want to mean something, and yet even we ourselves. We want to accomplish something. There's something within humanity that we want to be great. We want to be known for something, and yet, he says, Time's going to go by and you won't be remembered. And even people that are lifted up in history for a time and even for millennial, they are remembered in ways that may be merely caricatures of who they really were. More as markers in history rather than people who mattered. So he says, I, the teacher, verse 12, was king over Israel. I devoted myself to study, to explore wisdom of all that has been done. What a heavy burden. God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that were done under the sun, all of them meaningless, a chasing after wind. Did you catch that futility again? A chasing after wind, it's meaningless. Under the sun, that's the key word here. All that can be seen under the sun, what a heavy burden God has laid upon men. It's meaningless. Verse 15, what is twisted cannot be straightened. What is, what is uh, lacking cannot be counted. I think of of um, that, that what is twisted cannot be straightened. That's in terms of our understanding as well. It's been twisted in ways that we cannot get through the maze. 
Also, our own life experience is twisted and broken in ways that we cannot fix. And what is lacking, we don't even know. To quote the uh, great philosopher Donald Rumsfeld, he said, there are the things that we know and the things that are unknown. And considering the things that are unknown, there are the known unknowns, and then there are the unknown unknowns. Well, you say, what in the world is he talking about? He's sounding a lot like Ecclesiastes is what he's doing. We don't know what we don't know. And sometimes we think we are so smart because we don't know what we don't know. And we don't know what we've lost. There's a hint, again, of where meaning really is in Ecclesiastes. We don't know what has been lost. How was it lost? If life is futile, is this what God intended? Is this the burden that God placed on man for some purpose? How is it like this? Why is life like the ways that it is for you that you wish it weren't? And it is, isn't it? You know, we come, we come to church, we gather together. Thomas Kincaid. Everything is light and airy and happy and fluffy. But life isn't like that, is it? Life hurts. You've been disappointed. You trained up a child and he did not go in that way. You worked hard and faithfully and an employer was not faithful. A friend stabbed you in the back. Somebody you trusted yourself to betrayed you. Why is life like this? It wasn't supposed to be like this. Yeah, it's twisted. Something that is right about life has been lost, and we don't even know fully what it is. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know what it will be like, but what we look around and see isn't promising. What we look around and see isn't promising. That's the realistic view of the book of Ecclesiastes under the sun. Where did it come from? Why is life bent? Why is it twisted under the sun? Romans 8.20 gives the answer to that. The creation, and thus all of life's experience in it, the creation was subjected to futility. There's the same word. That word keeps popping up in the New Testament. The creation was subjected to futility not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. When did that happen? It happened in the garden. It happened at the fall, and the closing of chapter 1 suggests that. He says in verse, oh, in verse 17, I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also madness and folly. I wanted to understand wisdom, and I wanted to know foolishness. I wanted to know good, and I wanted to know evil. And I threw myself into knowing both, and what a ruin it was. That's what he says. What does that sound like? That sounds like Eden. That sounds like the Garden of Eden. That sounds like man wanted to know good and evil. And in knowing good and evil, he knows evil as well, which seems to have polluted all of the good. Under the sun, can what has been bent be straightened? What we need to do is expand our vision a little bit, as was described with Fanny Crosby blindness so early in life and yet she said i long to see my savior first of all she wrote about opening her eyes for the first time and there seeing her savior and yet she saw him by faith before she saw him by sight if we turn to romans chapter 8 go ahead and turn over there romans chapter 8 
you can find that verse 20 in the, in the hopelessness that's there. But if you back up just a little bit, if you expand your vision just a little bit from the circumstance of verse 20, it changes everything. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I consider the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will will be liberated. It will not always be like this. There's that prophetic hope. Remember I talked about history, which we're in the midst of as well. And real life, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon. Real life in all of its parts, and yet in anticipation of that coming hope. And God said, that's what life's about. Even the present longing, the present hungering is intended to cause us to long for, to look for something more. Life is futile under the sun, and yet in this life, life is fruitful in the sun. If we expand our vision from that horizontal plane under the sun, life on earth as if planet earth was a closed system left completely to itself, it's a dismal picture. And people who do not have the hope that you have, it's no wonder they think life stinks. It does. Their sniffer might be working better than yours. Except you see something more. You see something bigger. You back up and you have a perspective that includes life under the sun as it is, but also looks up above. You see, John Lennon, if I could uh, channel John Lennon just for a moment, he says, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Can't think of the words. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine all the people living for today. Today, only, merely. That's what Ecclesiastes does. Ecclesiastes imagines what it would be like if it's only for today, under the sun, and it's not nearly as rosy as John Lennon promised us it would be. Is it? And yet there's more than that. Don't imagine there is heaven. There is hell beneath us. There is justice coming. God will intervene, but God will redeem. God has redeemed in Christ, and there is hope ahead of us. It is more than this. And as we back up and widen the picture, look broader than merely at life under the sun, we find that that 
Nothing here can separate us. There's the end of chapter 8 of, of the book of Romans. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the hope that's there. Jesus then, then tells his disciples in John, I, I, I use the term fruitful along with futility for two reasons. First of all, they both begin with F. There's a little res, um, uh, 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 rhyming there that was just helpful to me. But John, John records Jesus' words to his disciples that says, Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, under the sun, nothing. Empty, futile, fleeting, meaningless. Abide in me. And I in you, and you will bear much fruit. Life all of a sudden changes. Life becomes fruitful instead of futile. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, reminds us of the difference that what we celebrate at Easter makes. 1 Corinthians 15 ponders for a minute, joining John Lennon, imagine there's no resurrection. Imagine there's no resurrection, and if there is not, then you are still lost in your sins. Look about verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 17, if Christ is not raised, your faith is, here's the word again, futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have died in Christ, they are lost. They are gone. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be miserable. There is nobody more miserable than a Christian who has lost his view or her view of coming glory. There is no, no one more miserable than a Christian who has lost sight of God's sovereignty and God's working in the midst of the mess and only sees the mess for what it is because they are still bound and determined, bound and determined to behave as they know they must but without any hope, without any strength in Christ to sacrifice with him. They're going along, going through the motions, trying to be good but knowing within them it doesn't make any difference because they've lost sight of the one who is all the difference. If we have in this life only hope in Christ, we are of all most to be pitied. But he says, Christ is risen from the dead. He has become the first fruits of those who sleep. So then, jumping to the end of the chapter, what makes the difference in in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, beloved of God, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain, is not futile, is not meaningless. The sacrifices you make, the choices you make, the way that you serve, the way you give yourself for your neighbor, those things that cost you, those things that hurt, the hurt that you bear and you forbear instead of take revenge, you turn the other cheek instead of of spitting venom back, It all matters. It all makes a difference. Your toil is not in vain. It is not empty. It is not meaningless. It is not futile in the Lord because Jesus is risen from the dead, because there is more to life than what we see, even more than we know that we don't know. What is crooked can be straightened. What makes a difference is what I'm looking at 
where I'm looking. I'm reminded of a story of a man from Africa who was visiting with some of the missionaries that he had come to know. They're back in their home offices in New York and they had brought him with them so that people back home in the churches and in the home offices would be able to better understand what uh, life in Africa was like and what the mission there was accomplishing. And so as they're walking around this great and grand city, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, he says, wait, stop, I hear a cricket. And his friend who's showing him around the city says, what do you mean you hear a cricket? How can you, and with all the traffic and all the commotion, the people walking and the cars, horns, how in the world could you possibly hear a cricket? No, 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 wait, 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 there it is, there it is. And in the midst of all that hustle, he hears A cricket chirping. How could that be? How could that be? Because he was used to hearing crickets. The people of the city were used to hearing traffic. The people of the city were saying, What's the matter, you? You got a problem with that? He was used to hearing the quiet chirp of a cricket. And so even through all the other clutter, he could still hear it. That's what you and I need. We need to be used to hearing, to seeing something more than what is. That's what Ecclesiastes is provoking us to. We have three options, really. Knowing that life under the sun is meaningless, we can still get on the hamster wheel, and we can still run real hard. We can run, 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 round in circles, knowing deep inside that it doesn't make any difference, and just try to push that down. Just try to ignore that because this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the path that's put beside me. And even if it doesn't go anywhere, I will be making good time. Option two, we can grab hold of both. We can realize, you know, I know life is kind of meaningless in terms of its own goals. And I have a hope in heaven, you know, when I die, I'm looking forward to that. But for right now, you know, I got to make this work best I can. And so we live with one foot sort of in each trying to play by these rules as well as looking forward to playing by those rules. So we've got a hope in the future that doesn't make a whole lot of difference now. But it will be better someday. For now, I'm just going to have to buckle down and get by the best I can, playing by the rules of the game that I find myself in, not being satisfied. There's a youthful idealism that ends up in middle age getting into more of a cynicism. I once thought like that too, but I realized life is the way it is and you just can't look at it so simply and just do what's right. You know, sometimes you, you can't always do what's right. You just have to play by the rules and the, play the game the way it's played. And you get a little cynical along the way, a little jaded along the way. Option number three is to look above the sun. Realize that we will be walking here, but our gaze will be higher. And that will affect what we do here. We may not achieve the goals of here. We may not get out of life the things that life in this world under the sun promises us. And yet that may not matter nearly so much as we thought it did. What will matter far more is knowing that I could actually be fruitful. My life could matter. Not merely in time, not merely as a memorial, not merely as a name on a building or in a book. But my life could matter because it showed something of the light of 
of the glory of God in the face of Christ in my own life to people around about us. That I was like in a Rembrandt painting, a bit of God's light in the midst of life's dark canvas. And so then people confounded are asking me as well to give them an answer for the hope that is within us. Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. It's intended to tell us how to live. It's intended to tell us how to make sense out of life. It's intended to tell us that even though life seems futile because so much of it is, there's more to life than under the sun. And don't let Monday cheat you out of a hope that goes so much further. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a book that is truthful to us because it's your word. It's a book that will confront our our perspective on what matters in life. It's a book that will suggest to us that we are chasing the wrong dreams. Father, if we are, would you tell us that? Would you point our gaze a little higher? Father, would you point us to the one who alone can satisfy when nothing else in this life will? And then would you help us, Lord, to taste of your glory and to share it with others in the midst of life that here and now we can know our God who satisfies the longings and cravings of our heart and our soul for him. This is what we ask you for in Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers come forward now, we're